We are back, episode 12 of uh, Booking Confirm. Christian, what's up? How you doing? Good, man. We, uh, we kind of were prompted to have an episode. I had a, uh, a sneaking plan to see if I could get our microphone into our housing commission meeting yesterday because we had kind of had a kind of a line in the a sand meeting. Um, we had a number of, of uh, requests and complaints to clarify and come up with more ordinances around short-term rental uh, operation and management in our city. Our friend, Mr. Luke, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, was on the planning commission. Um, you know, the city council gave the housing commission the ordinance. Uh, the city council gave staff. Staff. Uh, planning staff. The planning staff to come up with some guidelines for short-term rental operators. Um, and then they gave that to the housing commission. The, the planning commission. The planning commission to review. Uh, and it was coming before the housing commission last night with public comment about them. Um, there was a couple of, uh, of really concerning ones that would limit a lot of opportunity, both for existing um, short-term rental operators and net new ones. And it kind of kicked off or reminded us of the episode we did, I think it was episode three or four, about kind of risks to short-term rental operators. And so this is kind of be a volume two to that. Uh, but it, it kind of is a reminder that, you know, not only is the market always changing, opportunities always changing because of the market, but also regulations are all are also always evolving, right? And so, I mean, you, you've been doing it a long time, but, um, you know, you, you did you did go up there and express your, you know, express your opinion. <laughs> and it was really good and heartfelt and, uh, <laughs> you know, pointed, which was great. Um, yeah, I definitely went for the, uh, the I mean, there's a lot of uh, speakers um, during the public comment period, uh, and they were talking about different points, and, and, and so I was like, how do I do, I want to do something a little different. Yeah, here. yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to do a little heartstring nice. right here. Yeah. So it just talked about how, you know, this is the livelihood yep. for me and my family. Yeah. And if, if you, you know, start to institute a number of these ordinances, um, you're directly threatening my livelihood. Yeah. And a big part of, you know, why we live here in Reading is, you know, it, it's a relatively conservative place with mm -hmm. kind of free enterprise principles. Mm -hmm. But to see some of these uh, potential suggested items in the new ordinance yeah. seems like very heavy overreach. Yeah. Government overreach. And there was a number of people that expressed that. And so, yeah, I felt compelled to to express that not only for myself, but you know, for everybody else that's invested in this asset class, it's, it's a real, you know, it's a real concern for, I mean, from an overarching pros prospector standpoint of where do I invest in short-term rental operation? Like I, I do want to look for areas that are low cost of living, high quality of life. Right. And so, cause that usually will set the bar of the average, you know, real estate price point, the buy-in price point, and if you can get there early enough, kind of like that we did in Reading, you give yourself a good couple decades of opportunity as you see it grow and, and build out. Much like Bend, Oregon, um, you know, there's a lot of, of great examples. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, I was reminded right before we started that you know you you talk a lot about always assessing your portfolio, assessing your yield, assessing the profitability of uh, of your properties. We'll get into a couple of hypotheticals around kind of um, the ordinances and and what what they suggested and what they might mean for a short-term rental operator. But this idea, talk to me a little about uh, keeping in mind, how much do you think about the evolution of regulation and the constant changing of the potential risks to the business that you're building out? 
Yeah, I think it's a really important uh, component um, as you're if you're in if you're in short term rentals or if you're thinking of getting into. So at, you know, I think I I I do assess my current portfolio, and I look at um, you know where am I potentially at risk in the different uh, municipalities that my properties are in. Um, I'm very on top of. Um, you know, what the current ordinances are and what the discussions are. Yeah. You know, I either go to or listen in to pretty much every planning commission, city council meeting mm -hmm. that's related to short-term rentals. Yep. Um, so those are just things you just definitely want to put into practice if yep. you're going to be an operator. Yep. Uh, these are things that are going to affect you. And so not only do you need to be aware of it, but you also need to be involved. Yep. Um, and there's definitely room for you to be involved. I mean, I don't know, there was probably... 25 speakers last yeah, night a lot and probably almost all of them maybe one or two were against the rest were pro that made a huge deal and was very impactful yeah um you know for the the planning commission so i i think it's it's really important to both you know be really mindful of you know your portfolio once you have it it's not done yeah you know these regulations are fluid yep like I was telling you before we started, like Reading used to be the most uh, kind of free yeah. in terms of short-term rental regulation. It, you know, it was only less than a handful of years ago. They didn't even have an ordinance. Yep. You know, I was operating, you know, nine years ago before they even existed mm -hmm. an ordinance, yeah. you know, here. And now it's definitely the most regulated of any market I'm in. Well, it's, it's interesting. There's more regulated markets for sure. I mean, there's some yeah. markets that just have eliminated it outright. Yeah. So we're yeah. not there. Yeah. But it's definitely, you know, and what they're proposing is significant regulation. Well, we'll get into a couple of the specific items that cause some issue. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I realized is that, you know, if the, the average person, the 20-something, 30-something that may not have any portfolio right now and looking to get into it, and, you know, I might not, I might not feel the need to show up to city council. I might not feel the need to listen into the live streams of the housing commission or the planning commission. Uh, but in reality, it's like the later you enter into the government political game component of your portfolio, you are you are not going to insulate yourself from the potential risk just because you're ignorant, right? Being ignorant isn't going to help you get more yield on your properties, mm -hmm. um, because it's. It is not very hard for a small amount of people to cause enough uh, complaining to get something entered into the public city record and into the code, but it is very hard to get it stripped out. Almost, I don't know about impossible, but it's, it's much better. An ounce of prevention is a lot better than a, a pound of flesh or a pound of pain. I don't know what the metaphor <laughs> is, but the, in the prevention is just the, this idea of being aware, giving yourself options by understanding, oh wow, my city just put in, for example, for you know, almost as a as a you know a, a unrealistic example is like, what if they decide to not allow short-term rentals on cul-de-sacs? That would take out a whole percentage of a whole city and what you can do. Well, that, that was, I mean, funny. That was even floated yesterday. Uh, it wasn't in the ordinance, but it was floated, and well, I was just like, this is crazy. Well, one of the housing commissioners, you know, made a really good comment of. Um, how, you know, when we're on vacation, we love our short-term rentals. We love the fact that a VRBO is in my home, my hometown where I grew up and it's so charming and I, and I couldn't be more thankful to pay $185 a night to have a personalized experience with the host and the guest, but God forbid it's in my backyard or <laughs> on my street 
oh my gosh, no way, no how. And and you know what? I'm, I'm I don't want to be an ageist, but there was a a, a a a silver lining to the silver hair of the two people that did share that were against. One of them wasn't even against. She's like, I have some concerns, but I want to be informed. And I think the majority of people, you know, I was I was actually sidebarred yesterday with one of the planning, one of the uh, city. Actually, the, the guy that's reviewing my short-term rental permit right now, I sidebarred with him, and I was like, what do you think about this stuff? Like, what do you think? And he goes, hey, man, I'm just going to do my job. I, I'm told what to do, and whatever is decided, you know, hopefully we're going to make the, uh, the best decision for the most amount of people. And I'm like, yeah, but 24 out of the 25 people that spoke, if they're representing the city, are, are very much for social enterprise, free enterprise, free markets, and are there, are there always abuses uh, that are focused? For sure. Do I want to have a house that is on both sides of me, a short-term uh, short rental operating and across the street to have all that? Maybe I do and maybe I don't. But in reality, when you're a buyer, you get to make those decisions. But also where you're at in your life does affect your portfolio. Not just what you're buying, but where you stay and where you go. And so for the same reason we moved to Reading and stayed, I, I think people that move here for retirement have just as much right, if you want to say, to have an opinion that being said, I, I, I told the, the planner, I'm like, yeah, I tell my kids when they make a decision, I say, is my future self going to thank me for this decision? And whether it's the food choices that I eat, whether it's, you know, jumping off something, but as a city, is, our, is, is Reading's future going to thank us for putting in more regulation and limiting opportunity or not, or letting it go? And so that's something that every decision, every city has to make a decision on, but the point is, like, get informed, become aware. Um, I loved seeing you up there, by the way. Uh, it was great to see my all my friends either on the, on the council or on the committee or, or stand up there like, yeah, we're for building businesses. And I think our friends said it really well in that having one short-term short -term rental is different than you building an infrastructure at scale to run a business with Did he bring commerce back? That's part of doing research and study on the impact of tourism of people that are using uh, the short-term rentals as a vehicle to, to come to our city. I thought that was a great, great suggestion. Also, too, uh, one of the big things was these regulations are reactive. The suggestions are reactive for the bad actors or the short-term rental operators that haven't done a great job or got loose on their regulations or their house rules uh, or for whatever reason didn't manage it appropriately. But more often than not, we don't know how many of those experiences were attached to short-term rentals that were out of compliance that don't actually have a short-term rental. They didn't follow the rules. And so it's almost like, hey, let's create, let's actually think of this not reactively, but proactively uh, going after who's out of compliance now to see if we can tease out a lot of those bad actors that aren't managing appropriately. So some really good stuff came out of last night. What were the things that stuck out to you that were floated as potential solutions for um, whether a density, uh, a density issue or the problems of short-term rental from the city's perspective? What are the things that you, you kind of, you kind of, uh, you spoke to one of them was proximity. One of them was notice. Um, yeah, there was a number of line items um, that were mentioned, um, and uh, the way the process works, just to kind of do give an overview. Like you said, it's it's now the planning commission at the at the end of it gave their recommendation, yeah. which will now go to city council to actually mm -hmm. vote on. Yeah. So this is just kind of another step in the process. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so planning commission kind of went thumbs up, thumbs down, or made some changes to all the items within the ordinance, mm -hmm. right? Um, and some of the ones that they kept that uh, I think were uh, good, um, um, one was extending the notice period mm -hmm. a little bit longer. Yep. Um, extending the notice radius mm -hmm. to include a larger area around a short-term rental. Fine, sure. Yep. Um, they um, one that uh, I think was uh, is, is probably going to definitely change things the most that they decided to keep in is one of the kind of the stronger ones in this is a density regulation. Yeah. Um, it, so it, it, it the, the the line item says. Um, limiting short-term rentals to one per thousand feet. Mm -hmm. They have to be a thousand feet apart, which is actually quite a long way. Yeah, on the same street, yeah. On the sides, on the same, you know, on the same street, mm -hmm. 500 feet apart if they're on lateral streets and 300 feet apart if there's like a, an arterial between them, be mm -hmm. it like a major road or, um, you know, uh, some kind of Greenbelt Creek yeah, yeah. Uh, barrier yep. um, at the discretion of staff, mm -hmm. the director. So... That's a big one. So like that alone is going to limit the amount of short-term rentals there are. Cause yep. like some neighborhoods, uh, you know, the planning commissioner, one of them said when he looked at the GIS map of the garden tract, which is a pretty large neighborhood yeah, yeah, for sure. Now I don't know if this is true or not, but he was looking at those distances and said there can only be one. Wow. In the entire garden yeah. tract, yeah. which there's, there's a ton in there right now. Yeah. So like, it just kind of goes to show it's, it's going to make like, some of these neighborhoods, like some neighborhoods will only have one yeah. in the entire neighborhood with, with maybe a hundred houses in there if it's laid out in a certain way. So if it's not a huge neighborhood, yeah. um, and, and so it's just going to limit, you know, which, which, which I think we're going to get into this a little bit, but that's an area that I think it's important to, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur in this, right. Yeah. As an investor, regulation brings threats, yeah. but it also brings opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you, and kind of the way I'm looking at it now, like there's certain things I'm fighting against. Like there was a couple things in there. Like for instance, they, they, they proposed that if you have an ADU on the property, which you can't short-term rent anyway, yeah. you would not be able to short-term rent the long, the main house, which it just, they just pulled that out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and I, I spoke against that specifically <clears throat> and they struck that from the ordinance. Everybody thought that was pretty silly, I guess, except for staff. Yeah. Um, another one that, um, uh, I thought was silly was you, the, the current code says you have to have one parking space per bedroom mm -hmm. for your rental, yep. but they just decided, oh, let's make that one parking space per bedroom plus one. Yeah. And I was like, what's, why? what's your reason? Why? Like you, yeah. you guys actually haven't given any reason for this. Yep. So, so okay. why would you, why would you do this? You're just basically trying to make this more and more difficult for us. Yep. Which just kind of feels overall. Yep. Uh, specifically, and somebody even mentioned this, like targeting specific people is really, really um, inappropriate. And, and your job, like if you sign up to, to work for the city, you work for the city. Yeah. You work for us. Yeah. Like you do what we tell you to do as a city, like, and for you to kind of just be like, I don't want to work on this. So I'm going to make so many high bars and hoops. It just was, it just kind of feels like, um, 
there's a bit of um, like animosity there. I don't know. I mean, political. You didn't feel that? No, I, I definitely felt it, but it, it didn't felt like apathy to me. It didn't feel like a um, trying to skirt around the responsibility. Most, I think, most of the time, not apathy, like more, more intense, like direct intent. Well, I mean, yeah, because there's always, for me personally, I think there's always going to be an agenda. Meaning, like whoever I have the best relationship with, who, I, who have it has influence in my ear, telling me, interpreting what these student rentals are doing and how they're sounding, what they mean for our city, and what these what these short term rentals mean for my street. Like if I, I have, I only let so many people do that. So I look at city council or the planners. It's just like everyone has alliances to some people that sure. have influence, right? And they're going to be dictated and influenced by what your friends think. We always talk about, you know, who are you? Show me your, show me your, your closest five, five friends or so. Well, do they all believe in short-term rentals? If they all had short-term rentals, guess what? I think you'd be more amenable, amenable, amenable to yeah. doing it yourself, right? Yeah, and I think I, I think my, my take on it is I think there's that's definitely part of it. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know that, yeah. so I don't want to, like, make those kind of accusations but sure we all are influenced mm -hmm. right yep. and there's there's definitely more or less influential people you know in 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 any city yeah for that matter right however i think it's um and it kind of gets back to the point of this like there was just a startling fact that was like discussed over and over last night there's 250 or i think it was like 225 uh, permitted yeah. short-term rentals, yep. but there's 350 operating short-term rentals, and they know that because they're just taking Airbnb data. They have data. They have they they have a, they have a firm they've hired that yeah. essentially keeps that number updated for them. And so it's just like so startling that yeah. there's 100 to 125, and like so almost a th a third. And we're talking roughly about, a third. We're talking about putting more rules on the ones that are legally that operating. are legally operating, but you can't regulate effectively the yep. ones that aren't operating. And so yep. that was just kind of the theme that was continually brought up. It's like, I get why you're frustrated as a staff, but the really don't take it out on the, the people who are doing a good job. Yeah. Like find a way, yeah. figure it out how to regulate the ones that aren't. And, and one of the ways that, do, that was proposed was you actually do cap it. You, there's a cap that's put on. And if you're not in underneath the cap, then you're, penalize somehow and to hopefully incent people to come into compliance. Was that one of the things that was floated? Yeah. The problem with that is if there's only 250 and there's, we'll say there's, say there's 350 total, right? Yeah. Even with unpermitted, that's still under under the recommended cap of 400, which is roughly 1% of the total housing supply yeah. in Reading. Um, but we're not even close to that cap. Yeah. And, and the market already is at a point specifically right now with just in a recession mm -hmm. that a number of people who have started short-term rentals are exiting the market yeah. because they're not getting enough rental income yeah. with short-term rentals. So there, there's a, the free market is already sorting that out yeah, aside sure. from the cap. Yeah. So I don't think the cap is kind of, it's kind of a moot point. Because it's really not an issue right now, unless they were to make a much smaller cap. Yeah. Um, but and I think the density actually puts in a much more significant, like realistic cap. Mm -hmm. It's a the density is more of a real cap without yeah. saying a cap. Yeah. I think that's going to actually make it closer to like two hundred. Yeah. When you actually look at like streets and how close these can be, and like where you would actually put short term rentals in our city. There's going to be a lot less than you think because of that thousand foot, five hundred foot. 
regula- you know, density it's, it's, uh, regulation. It's interesting depending on how the city was designed a hundred something years ago, right? And so you mentioned the garden track. That was a very designed, cute, quaint, close together neighborhoods down by the river in downtown Reading. Like the 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 general plan of that is different than now. We're actually needing more housing, right? But all that's going up is multifamily condos. Uh, and so, you know, out 50 minutes sprawl. They're, they're building towns differently now for capacitors than they did. That being said, there were town different. If they're designing neighborhoods differently now and the net new builds, that could change a little bit, but not a ton when it comes to the overall, especially a thousand feet in a given area. So Evolving regulations has to be there. Um, researching, using Airbnb, I think is interesting as a prospecting tool to buy as a buyer. Like if I'm looking at an area, look, go, go look up Airbnb, what Airbnbs are there to see if you can figure out a way of proximity wise, if it's, if it's even going to be meeting your current regulations that you have in place, I think is interesting. I went to the, to the city and I actually, when I applied, I got to see a map that, that, that were the houses in the neighborhood I was looking at that currently have them. Sure. And also that are in process of approval. Yep. And just to make sure like, hey, is this a, a new point? But, but you talk a lot about, you know, this idea of turning a potential liability into an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, and, and having multiple exit strategies per property. And so um, some, of, some of the best deals can be train wrecks when you get into them based off what neighborhood they're in. Based, I'm thinking of your Butte house, like down away, not it, it almost has no curb appeal because you can't even see it from the curb, right? But it, it has a very unique opportunity that's, that lends itself uh, like an, an amazing way to leverage for long-term building for the portfolio. Um, but talk us through this idea of risk mitigation or risk augmentation strategy uh, going from best case in, from a profitability standpoint to a worst case, to when when do I think about an exit based off of potential risk and regulation? Yeah, sure. There's a different. There's a few different angles I want to take looking at this. But um, to start, um, I think when you're when you're when you're analyzing a deal, right? When you're getting into a property, um, before you get into it, um, when you underwrite that deal, you want to underwrite it with a few different options in mind. Uh, at least two, maybe yeah. three, yep. and you want it to pencil out to work a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. And and this is even more important today, you know, with short-term rentals, because we are in a regulatory market where where likely it's only going to become more regulated. Yeah. At this point, it's not getting less; it's getting more. And so, um, you need to just keep that in mind. And so, if if your plan is to short-term rent it and you've identified, hey, this works within the regulations of your municipality, um, I can get approval, I can operate it, great. But you want to have another, you want to have another either operating strategy or exit strategy, Yep. right? So either does it pencil as a midterm rental, you know? And if it still does, okay, great. That's an awesome fallback plan. Or does it pencil as a long-term hold? Mm -hmm. And if not, you know, or, or is it kind of a more of a fixer upper and you could fix and flip it or fix and rent it? Yeah. So if you fix it up and, and for some reason you can't rent it or it's not working out, well, then you sell it and you still make a profit and you move on. And so having multiple ways yeah. to get out of something, you know, or if it's a bird property, yep. you know, and so if you're able to refinance it, take that money, take your return, go into something else and just hold it. And at least it cash flow is positive or breaks even great. 
you know? So having multiple ways for it to, to play, and those are just really fundamental real estate investment strategies yeah. that you just want to have, right? We talk about short-term rentals here. But you want to be able to 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 play in different boxes mm -hmm. with your property. Yeah, and and the hard part is that you're not going to know about grandfather clauses. You're not going to know with a change in regulation. We might have a say. We might not have a say. Uh, but I mean, a, a lot of the strategy is when the market's low, find good deals with the intentionality of keeping it for two to three years or until the market can recover to see if there's a top. To if if I do sell it off, that I'm going to hit top of market. But if not, if I'm going to pick it up at a, a, at a great enough price point that it's going to be killer to me until your equity, your equity equation changes like you did in your Mount Shasta house, you went from looking at a short-term rental return to an, an equity position play, right? And being able to look at your properties like either cards in a hand or on a dashboard based off what the market's doing and also regulation as a factor, looking at your properties not just a, a, within a single dimension, um, but multiple dimensions. It's just going to keep you agile as, as a short-term rental operator. Yeah, and totally. And so to take that property specifically, I think it was interesting. I, there, I think there is some significant regulation coming down the pipe mm -hmm. in Mount Shasta City where that property was. When we, when we marketed that property, though, to sell, we were marketing it as a short-term rental and yeah. to investors because all signs of where the regulation is going, they're actually going to try to... to just about eliminate short-term rentals in residential neighborhoods. So our zone neighborhoods are yeah. one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. However, in commercial zones, the the remaining short-term rentals that they allow, they want them all to be in commercial zones. Yeah. And this property that we sold is right on the main street. Mm -hmm. It's zone commercial. Yeah. And so it's actually, and, and this is what we talk about when we say opportunity like threats also bring opportunities. Yep. For that specific property, and that was part of why we were able to sell it at a premium, if and why we loved that property. Um, and I wouldn't have sold it unless I was getting a better deal, which yeah. we're about to close on this better deal. Yeah, you are. But um, the, the benefit of that is, okay, bring it on. Yeah. You know, bring on the regulation because if you, if you limit the supply from a couple hundred down to, you know, 30, 40, 50, all of a sudden I've got a gem. Well, you know? supply and supply and demand dynamics still play. They're still they're still in existence. Meaning that if they do put a density cap on it, and you happen to have one in that area, you just differentiate yourself. Not just today, but it's like it, it depends on whether you can carry over your short term rental operating permit with the sale of the property or not, depending on where you live. But if you can hold, the longer you hold the nature of real estate that things turn over. Things will turn over and you could be in rare air in your specific neighborhood or your region of your town, which you can you can actually demand a higher nightly rental for mm -hmm. if you have that dynamic in play. Yeah, and so the other way to look at this is, is, is um, trying to identify um, uh, kind of um, properties that operate like short-term rentals, but aren't permitted as short-term rentals. So let me give you a few examples. Yep. So actually in, in my house, we have that guest house mm -hmm. and I actually have what's called a hosted homestay permit, which they've made very clear through these different meetings on, on the short-term rental ordinance. There's a difference between, and they see it as very different, a hosted homestay versus a short-term rental. 
Uh, there's not the same fees associated with it. There's yeah. not the same process associated with it. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the, the city feels much more strongly about if a, your, it's your house and your property quality and insurance. you live there yeah. and then you're renting out mm-hmm. a couple rooms yep. or a separate unit at mm-hmm. that property, yeah. you're going to take care of it. You're yeah. going to make sure there's not a party. You're on site. There's yeah. no response time because you're there. Yeah. And so they, they, just, they just regulate it completely different. Another example is a motel. So we have a property that's a motel. We have a property that's a boarding house. Yep. Uh, there's inns. There's bed and breakfast. All of these types of properties, there's lodges. These are different permits than a short-term rental permit. Yeah. They're considered commercial. They're not considered single family. And so if you can be – so if you're in a market where there already is significant regulation or there's regulation coming down the pipe, what I'm trying to do is be like, okay – I want to be find kind of these needles in the haystack yeah. that look like short-term rentals, that operate like short-term rentals. I can market on the same platforms mm-hmm. and for the same price points as short-term rentals, but they're permitted differently. And so if they come down and hammer hammer down on short-term rentals and say, no more short-term rentals, yeah. it only makes my property more valuable. So when you say hosted homestead, your your layout of your house is really great because it's, it's technically a, a, an, an amazing pool house, right? Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's connected. It's divided by the garage, right? But the, the actual layout of your property on the corner lot, like it's, all, it's almost like a pool house play almost. Like, yeah, that's what we call it. Yeah, we call it a pool house. We actually list it as like a villa. Yeah. Because it's like, like on the water, mm-hmm. pool house, yeah. kind of like a villa. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. So when you're looking, your buy box is like, all right, I mean, yes, what's the main house look like? But does it have a pool? Does it have a pool house? What does it have? Does it have a shed that can be converted? Like what What? What are the options available? And that goes back to the buy box conversation and how to get creative uh, because, you know, your your house wasn't the least expensive on your block. Uh, but it also, too, it made it worth it for you because it had this unique attribute called your villa slash not short-term rental property, a hosted homestay uh, amenity, right? That you could go and leverage, right? That made it made the numbers work out. So there are always going to be options, and I think. We need to get more, and if we out of response, probably are less powerful and yeah. those things with investing yeah and, and so I, I just want to put myself out there as an example here of like um like does this some of these some of these issues in this ordinance it's it poses some serious threat mm-hmm. to my reading business yeah but that's one reason i feel really good about the fact i've ex- expanded and insulated myself from some of these threats yep. by diversifying mm-hmm. into different markets. Yep. I'm in the Siskiyou County market in Mount Shasta, and we're about to close on our property in McLeod. And those are properties that are not regulated yeah. by short-term rentals. Yeah. And so, in fact, if short-term rentals become more regulated, that's better for me. And so there's ways that you can and, – and honestly, um, you know, I told Holly you know, the other day – you know, we were talking about this ordinance. I was like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Yep. Like no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, if they come down, if even if they came down as hard as possible, 
Okay, we're going to have a little bit of a runway yep. to figure it out, at mm-hmm. least a year, year and a half. Maybe they give you the grandfather three years. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they let you grandfather for him. But even if they don't, like, all right, like we'll figure out. We can sell these properties. Yep. We can, we can uh, you know, we're in one of these properties right now. We already run the ADU as a 30-night rental. This house yep. is a 2-1. This could easily be a 30-night rental and still be profitable. Easily. Yeah. Um, so there's ways you can kind of shift it or like I did with the house in Mount Shasta, you sell it, you could 1031 it into something bigger, or mm-hmm. you could take the cash, yeah. build a bigger moat around yourself. Like there's other, there's other opportunities. And so it's just important. Like when you get, like, so when I got these first properties in Reading and these were crushing, right? Yeah. Like 2020, 2021, these were crushing. I was like, honestly, yeah, I could just live on this forever. But the market changed. Um, you know, the average daily rates and occupancy went down. And yep. so I'm really glad I kept hustling yeah. and got that our lodge yeah. in Mount Shasta. For sure. And then I thought to myself, maybe that's enough. Yeah. Maybe I'm done. Yeah. But you know what? I'm really glad I kept hustling yeah. and traded one house into now another eight unit property. Yeah. Because potentially I could need to unload totally all of these ready ones. So, so two two things on that front. Yeah, you you work the plan and the process regardless of the market. You, like you you had a plan for yourself, and more so like I, I don't see you sitting still very often, except if we're around a fire drinking whiskey. Um, but even even then, we're we're always scheming, we're always looking, we're always planning, we're always assessing what what can we do differently. Um, and you were ready. You were ready when opportunity came to capitalize off it. And you then you didn't just stay stagnant of like no, but I just do two bedroom, one bathroom, single family homes, and I do it and I Airbnb it. You didn't stay single threaded. You diversified not just your buy box, but what you were willing to take on as a project to renovate, to manage. You, your projects got bigger, and you actually have a whole new buy box for if the even if the market gets harder as it from a short term rental perspective or not. It doesn't matter to you. Almost like I, I've seen you take risks and uh, strengthen this muscle like, well, what if, you know, where, where are the other boarding houses within a, a 200 mile radius? What, what, what could that look like? What, what, if, what, if, what does it look like for buildings that have been converted from commercial into residential or vice versa? How do I find those? Like you've gone out there and you've, you've used it as a learning experience that I think you kind of uncovered a new buy box that brings you a lot of life and energy that you didn't have before. You were, you were laser focused on singer family homes, turning one door into two. I didn't hear you talk about anything else, right? Totally. For like a year and a half. Right. And at the end of this, you're much more insulated. You're much more diversified. And I don't even, I don't even see you looking at single family homes anymore. Yeah. I'm I'm really not right now. Um, and not to say I won't ever. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is a market for it still. Um, but, um, it's just important to, 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 to not stop learning, to not stop growing. Uh, I remember my brother-in-law who's, who's, who's a real estate investor has a big company. You know, he said to me like, yeah, you think those first properties are like, oh, I'm gonna have this forever. And he's like, you won't, Yeah, you won't, you know, you know, you, you, things will change. You'll keep growing, and and it'll be funny to you one day that you thought you were going to have those forever. It's true. You I know, mean, the only, yeah. There's the saying that they're you're, the only thing that's capping the your biggest dream is it being accomplished. So you can dream bigger, right? And so when you accomplish your biggest dream, you have a problem. 
because you've been looking for that for a long time, which a lot for, for you and I was self-sufficiency, working for ourselves, owning our own time, understanding lifestyle. But there, it's a process where you get to those points and you you change as a person as you continue to grow. Yeah, and and, and I think I mean, and, and sort of who this who this podcast is for is is kind of for the solo entrepreneur, right? Solopreneur is the official term. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you this, don't rely on anyone else for your income. Yeah, and maybe you have a partner. Like yeah. I have partners on some of my deals, yeah. but you know, uh, we work together. But I'm still an investor, yeah, right? Correct. You know, on my own, right? Mm-hmm. And um, like this is for you know, and, and kind of. I can speak for myself. Like my goal is not to like kill myself working. Yeah. I mean, there's some people out there that just want to keep hustling yeah. and good for them. Yeah. You know, and they can build a whole empire mm-hmm. around real estate and, and that's awesome. That's not my goal. Yeah. That's not my desire. Like I really love this job because I get freedom out of it. Yeah. I get to manage my own time. You know, I worked all this morning on the computer, but then I went on an hour and a half run. Yeah. And I took a shower and I came here. Yeah. You know? Sounds like a good day. And it's been great. Yeah. Maybe I'll do some work this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Maybe I won't. That's right. You know? And I'm actually busy right now because I'm doing a new deal. Mm-hmm. But I'm still I'm still not working an eight-hour day. Yeah, for sure. You know? And this is probably the busiest time I have. And so there's there's it, it's just this is more of a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 we're kind of, you know, portraying this opportunity yeah. here. And there's there's seasons of hard work mm-hmm. and there's seasons of rest. And it's so when we say, you know, you always have to be looking, you always have to be hustling, that can be seasonal. That yeah. You know, and that can personality be personality too, right? That can be and there's been times like, you know, honestly, yeah, I mean my my, my dad got sick and, and passed away this last summer and that was right at the end of my last project and I kinda just took some time. Yeah. You know, we sure. were managing but we weren't you know, for a few months there, we were just kind of managing, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't trying to grow yeah. and we were just processing. And, and that's the nice thing about this is once you get your systems in place, yeah. you know, you can kind of go through those ebbs and flows right yeah. now. I'm in an intense season cause I'm trying to get a deal done, Yeah, you know, and I'm going to be for a few months, but once we get this thing all up and running, I'm going to have some time again, you know? And yeah. so there's kind of these ebbs and flows to this business and when we say you always got to be analyzing, you always got to be looking. Yeah, it's true, but you don't have to be, you don't necessarily have to have the goal of building a huge empire. No. I don't. No. And you don't, have, you don't have to kill yourself. A lot of it is, if we call it a lifestyle business, what does lifestyle mean to us? What does a lifestyle mean, listener, to, to you? It also depends, too, on what your monthly nut is, right? You're, build, you're, build, you're building unto some financial freedom or at least loosening, you know, the, the noose or the, the knife to your own throat. But if you have passive income that exceeds your monthly expenses, you have a measure of wealth. Yeah. And, and unto what's such a big question. I mean, and I think we probably don't say this enough on this podcast. Like those are some serious conversations big, man. you need to have with yourself and your partner. Yeah. Um, meaning your life partner. Yeah. Like, like what is this for? Yeah. You know, like what's the point if you don't have some real goals set in place or yeah. some real numbers set in place, like, like you'll never stop. Yeah. You'll honestly never stop and you could end up working your entire life and then, you know, maybe it gets cut short or maybe you get hurt. You know, maybe you're not as, you know, nimble as you once were and you never get to enjoy it, you and, know? And these, these, 
these houses and these properties and these projects, they are a metaphor for the work that we that we've done. They they are they are some sort of a of milestones that we can look at. We're literally sitting in, in them right now. Like it's cool to have. That being said, it's all into what which we always we started with. What's your vision? What's your value? What's your priorities? And you know, when life happens, when someone passes, when a kid gets sick, when priorities change in a moment, guess what? These houses, they don't mean a whole lot, but they are containers of value that we can redistribute or create insulation around prioritizing what does matter, which is cool, which goes into that lifestyle play and your vision and value. So too, what, do you have to get up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning and, and set up like you need to? There's a lot of therapy with low. There's going to be, that's life, that's life stuff, right? Imposing what your investment thesis is, having a plan as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as an opportunist, right? All those things. Like that's those are going to be un, unique to you. It's always going to be a little bit dramatic. That being said, how are you going to fortify your time based off what your values are, so you can have down seasons, so you can take a three-week summer vacation in your van somewhere, right? I just planned a vacation next month to go to Mesa, Arizona, Arizona, and take my wife and kids to Grand Canyon for the first time. Oh wow! And it's just like, why? Because they're young and it's worth it and it's fun and let's go have an adventure, right? Yeah. And it needs to cost justified for the first time ever. My wife, maybe she might be listening to this episode, she said, I think I'd be open to renting out our house. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I've never heard you say this before. But I'm like, well, I, I kind of know a little bit about what it would mean to rent out your own house when you go on vacation. You have to plan out what doors are locked, where to, what you want stored, what you not, don't want touched. You have, you have to design it out to leave it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't got super deep into that, but I, I, I want to believe that our podcast has had a long-term effect subconsciously on our spouses. But uh, that, was, that was exciting for me. But it was cool because the lifestyle does allow you the freedom if you have the processes and the systems of you, it, in place, right? If you were managing everything with no systems in place, with no cleaners, doing it all yourself. And we have friends that those are the only two rules. Do everything yourself and your property should cash flow 1% of your purchase price. And I'm like, those are interesting dynamic points that doesn't sound very happy. <laughs> it doesn't sound very helpful. And they have like 11 properties and I'm like single families. And I'm like, that seems like a ton of management work. There's got to be a way in there to optimize it. But they're not asking for my opinion. So I just, as an outsider, I'm like, I'm just going to give it freely. Well, I'm like, you're, you're, you're a systems guy and we're economy of scales as we're, when we're talking through this, right? Yeah. I want to cut through any red bullshit, red tape for the city, but from a management perspective, enabling that freedom and that opportunity is one of the biggest values that we have. Totally. So, um, any other thoughts about, um, let's see the opportunity of regulation, uh, under-regulation versus over-regulation, um, underwriting this idea of due diligence and risk management as it becomes to regulation. Any, anything fr- from the meeting yesterday that stuck out to you? Uh, I, I was really encouraged about, you know, of the 30 people, 30, 40 people that were there, um, probably 80% of them were in our you know, 30-somethings. Yeah. Um, that were entrepreneur either owned or managed short-term rental and all had super positive experiences uh, with it. And it just made me realize that we're not, we're not building for 
the generation past. We're building for our kids' generation what we want our city to be in. And so we are now we are we are we're now ready, right? We're not we're not past ready. And and there'll be a time where I think probably think differently uh, about where I live based off my age. At the same yeah. time, I was really encouraged at at our meeting that the voices that were being heard and spoken did represent our demographic and the now identity of what we want to build here, not to preserve an ideal of of years past. And so uh, I was overall, I, I, I loved watching you go up there and kick some ass. Um, and I thought that the process, although painstaking, city government is, I thought it was uh, intellectual. And this idea of, you know, less regulation gives more opportunity to people to do it right, not not to be afraid of, of who's going to abuse that freedom. I thought overall, I think our, our, you know, Luke and the Housing Commission, they're balanced. And I feel like uh, our city does want to do what's the best for most amount of people. But also making our voice heard matters. So any other last thoughts about the meeting yesterday or... Or uh, regulation in general. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like, once you just, I don't know if we touched on this, we kind of talked about, um, you know, how to analyze deals Mm -hmm. from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah. But if you have a property Mm -hmm. and you already own a property in an area and and you're, you know, staying on top of what regulations there are. And, and my position at this point is, is, I mean, they can do a bunch of different things, right? I mean, we can make our voice heard mm-hmm. to the city, but ultimately there's going to be a few people, yep. uh, you know, a city council of five that are ultimately going to decide yeah. what this ordinance looks like. Mm-hmm. And that could be, uh, you know, every all the way from uh, basically making it so I can't operate. Affects me a little bit, but not very much. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, is, um, you know, stay engaged, mm-hmm. like be involved in the process, you know, try to influence, you know, as best that you can. Yep. Um, to have the ordinance be an outcome that's beneficial. Um, you know, I believe in more of a free market and mm-hmm. that the natural market will sort itself out. Um, but if it does go against me, okay, I'm going to pivot mm-hmm. and I'm going to find a way out of it. Yeah. If it goes towards me, I'm going to find a way of taking advantage of it. Yeah. So, I, you know, just kind of don't, you know, there's not a need at this point to, you know, overreact. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're in this kind of environment, just, just be really analytical. Look at, look at each of your assets, each of your properties individually. They're likely different. Mm-hmm. They likely will come up against the regulation different. You know, potentially, depending on some of these these items in the code, I might be able to keep some properties and not others. Yeah. Uh, depending on how they, they play it out, I might have to convert some to something different, or I might sell them. Yeah. Um, so there's really some different opportunities and options in just kind of going through the process, doing your analysis. If there's things you have to do to the property to keep it, like potentially add pro- parking or mm-hmm. things like that, yeah. you know, do it. Do a good cost benefit analysis. Look at what it would cost you to put in more parking, mm-hmm. and you know, is that worth it? You know, based off the fees and the permits and and what your what your performance looks like yeah. from rental income over the next couple of years. And and we talked to Todd last episode, our, our Asian friend, and and he's saying that you know, that the majority of people that are coming to him to buy houses are saying, hey. Does this have income opportunity into it? Does it have options? That can can I convert it? And so, unless you're doing a fix to flip play, um, 
I always start trying to think what is what's the highest and best use of this property. Am I going to do? Um, can I? What, what before I buy? It, I said is is it? Does it have enough options for me to play to get a return? But also too, once I own it, it's just like how do I do right by this property? What, whether it's moving walls, adding adding walls, moving rooms, but building out ADU long term. Not only is regulation going to sort itself out, but so is the market as far as evaluation of that property. Because I just don't see in the next 10 years or so properties that have an ADU attached to it being less valuable than the house next door that doesn't. And totally. so, so for a long-term play, even if you have two 30-day rentals because you built out the ADU and turned one door into two, you have two long-term, mid-term to long-term rentals and you just up, up the overall resale value of your property whenever you do decide to sell it. Yeah, and I think this property we're in, if, if they you know happen to... Uh, include that mm-hmm. ordinance of, of not allowing you to short-term rent the main house mm-hmm. if you have an ADU on the property, you're right. I have a couple options. Yep. I can long-term rent both. Or like you just said, I think there's this is a great starter house. Mm-hmm. I love this house. Yep. I haven't been in here in a while. It's cool. And we're sitting in it and I'm it's like, clean. I lived in here for a little while. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yep. And this we, we just saw a picture the other day. This whole living room here. I remember. Some semi. Was, was just packed with boxes. Yeah, yeah. Floor to ceiling. Yeah. Uh, my entire living room. We like we have a picture of some well, kid, our kids like right in the middle of the, bo- the well, box. Well, to, to your credit, for about a two year for, period, for a property, another property we were doing. I know for yeah. a two year period, you had a, most of your houses filled up with cardboard boxes. Yeah. multiple times a year. Right. So yeah, but this this one is. Super, but yeah, this super would be cute. an awesome like for someone who was just getting in. Yeah, and you know you're either just a couple. Uh, a single person, or maybe you have a kid or two. Yep. This is a small two-one, yep. and then you've got a a detached, yep. separate backyard yep. garage that's an income-producing opportunity. Yeah. That could easily pay your mortgage in a half. And you're you're two blocks away from downtown. Yeah, right? and so it's yeah, really for cool. someone yeah, cool right spot. next to the bike truck. Yeah, I mean, I think this like as a single-family home yep. to sell mm-hmm. like could do really well. Okay. So. It just it just kind of reinforces my point here. Mm-hmm. Like, if if things change, like making sure you have some different exit strategies, and then pick the one that works best for you. Change with them, dude. If, you know, if things change, change with them, and don't be afraid. What, what would you say to someone who gets a, a, who chooses to not enter the market because the uh, the regulations are un, are uncertain? I think you. You look at the regulations and identify how you can take advantage of them. Okay. Right? Yep. Have a couple extra strategies, have mm-hmm. a couple different opportunities that you've earned in that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got some best and worst case scenarios. Yep. And if your worst case scenario still pencils, mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. Yeah, that works, man. Um, I'm currently in process of getting my short term rental. A permit approved by the city. I saw my guy in there who was approving it at the meeting last night. Um, didn't get any uh, public feedback regarding objections for it, so that's good news. And I should hopefully know here in the next week or so. So, should have some hopefully good news by the time we record again. So, awesome, man. Uh, yeah, it, thank you guys so much for who's listening on the line. Um, that's volume two of Risk to Short Term Rental Operators. And as, uh, as things develop, uh, legis- legislatively, permit-wise, ordinance-wise, we'll keep you up to date as far as us as an example. But it's not about our city. It's about how we're dealing with how our city is choosing to change 
its viewpoint and standpoint on regulating short-term rental operation. Yep. And every city is going to be different. Yep. You know, every county is going to be different. Like this is a, as we've said, this is a very fluid yeah. uh, topic and is going to continue to be. Um, and so, yeah, staying informed, staying engaged, staying nimble. Yep. Like it's, it's still a, a great opportunity to 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 make some big moves even in the midst of regulation my best moves have come in the midst of regulation chaos breeds opportunity my friend yep all right uh it's out we're done anything else have a good day guys talk to you later booking confirmed out